Hello, I'm Ashling B. I'm a stand-up and an actor and a general all-round good guy. Um, my Twitter feed is We Miss B. That's W-E-E-M-I-S-S-B-E-A. And I've got a Facebook page, which is Ashling B. That's A-I-S-L-I-N-G-B-E-A. So, Ashling, how did you get into comedy? Hi there, Sarah. Um, how did I get into comedy? Well, I suppose... Um, I always did a bit of comedy things, even at school. I used to write the comedy plays for school and stuff like that. When I say comedy plays, I think they were supposed to be really serious plays and everyone started laughing. I was like, right, I'll go with this. Um, When I was at university, I was in a sketch group um, with a load of boys. There was about 10 of us in the sketch group. And we went over to Edinburgh while we were at university and did some shows there. And then um, I decided that that wasn't for me and the only way forward was to be a dramatic actress. And so I went to London and trained uh, as an actor for two years. And when I came out, I realised that people were still laughing (laughs) no matter what I did. So, um, yeah, then I suppose it was a way I knew if I didn't do stand up before I turned 30, I definitely regret it. And I suppose I had nothing to lose, really. But I got into it sort of because with stand up, I always liked the idea that you had a job that you could unfold. Like a lot of my friends when I was growing up had trades. So they were hairdressers and plumbers and electricians and they could kind of pick up their bag and bring it somewhere. Whereas if you're an actor and, and want to do a play somewhere, you need all of your bits involved. Whereas a stand up, you just need a microphone and not even sometimes a microphone, but just your face and your voice and a pair of feet. So that's how I got into it, really. And the sketch group that you were in at university was HBAM. Yes. So what was your first gig like together as a sketch group at university? Well, I don't, it's strange looking back at it now because I was so naive to comedy, I suppose. I come from the countryside where my mother is a jockey and we lived in the middle of nowhere and I'd never been, we had two channels growing up. I make it sound like I was from the deepest, darkest, but it's, it's not, we just didn't. I didn't know anything about comedy, British comedy, even sketch. I didn't really understand what sketch was. So I kind of found myself performing in this group of there. I think there were about three English guys in it who came from a long tradition of sketch in university, kind of sketch watching it on the telly in England. And I suppose I didn't really know what I was doing half the time. So I just kind of, I suppose I just did whatever was funny. I remember our first gig, we did a few sketches and I suppose I felt like they were being in little school plays and then we had to do an improv bit at the end and now when I look back at it I see everyone we were doing very obvious improv games that you'd find in any kind of comedy sketch group but I had no clue what we were doing like come up with a first word or what would you do if or what's the worst thing you can say if and I look back now and I think my god I can't believe I got away with it I didn't have a clue what I was doing so what was your first gig like when you did stand up first gig when I did stand up I was absolutely really nervous about and I typed out all my words and I thought I was doing five minutes and I ended up doing 20 because I didn't realize how much I talk Um, and I was doing it on a poetry night and so I thought well at least if it's not funny people might think I'm a terrible poet Uh, but it went quite well I brought along three or four friends who I knew would love me no matter what um as in love me uh, with their hearts not as in love what I was talking about <laughs> but it went re- it went well I think most people probably have a really good first gig and it's the second third and fourth and the first time you die that kind of shoots through your heart those are the ones that are hard the first one because you just don't ex- don't know if you're good really if you do any good at all or if you're if you make any sort of headway you think cool I'm gonna rule the world 
you know, when you start thinking, oh, I'm a stand-up now, and you've just done one gig. So how often did you start gigging after you did your first gig? Not very regularly at all. Not. I was so... I suppose when you do something well once, you're living in the your former glory. You're living in the shadow of your former glory. So I really was quite lazy about it, probably until... I think about February last year, um, like I was gigging in bits and bobs and I also, because I'd been comedy acting for quite a while, I knew more people in gigs who would book me on on the sort of faith of my comedy acting. And really, I was kind of half blessed, but it was also a baptism of fire. I think about like my fifth gig, because um, I'm very good. One of my best friends is married to Dave Gorman. And like my, my fifth gig I did with Dave and you're sort of going, that's not really a normal kind of route when and then next night you do an open mic night where there's 20 people on and you're doing three minutes about, a you know, a dog or something like that. Um, but I didn't, I suppose, I remember I was doing, we were shooting Dead Boss last, last kind of winter and Holly Walsh, who wrote that, was there and she was just doing kind of 13 hour days. And she's like, oh, now I have to go to do a gig tonight. And I was going, what do you mean, Holly? Just take a week off, take six weeks off. And she said, no, it's like a muscle if you don't, it's like going, not going to the gym. And I couldn't understand what she meant. But then in the middle of Dead Boss, I basically took one day when I had one day off and rang up and emailed and Facebooked absolutely everybody I knew with gigs and started booking in dates that I wouldn't be able to get out of. And then I started kind of gigging four or five nights a week. And I finally, now I look back and I completely know what she means. I'd Like if I don't gig for three or four nights, it doesn't, you can feel it and you get better so much quicker. And you write so much faster once you start gigging, 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 gigging. That's the only way to get better is to is to get up on your feet and do it. You can spend a lot of time re- writing and you should write, but most of it is being on stage and finding different audience and what people laugh at. Well, you were saying that you did a lot of comedy acting before you started doing stand-up and uh, you trained in classical acting at Lambda. So did you find that having that background of acting helped with stand-up, although it helped with bookers and promoters, but actually in terms of performing stand-up, did it help having an acting background? It helped very much being on stage because even the, the, the days when you're absolutely feeling horrible and you do not want to entertain people and it, you, you, you can fake it, I suppose. You can act like you're having a great time. Also things like knowing where to look at the audience, knowing how to f- find your light, which sounds really kind of wanky if you'll excuse my not French. Um, but knowing how to look out to the back of the audience and how to perform and make sure your voice gets heard. All of those things are done for free. The element that I suppose is harder when you're trained in something similar, but it's not the same, is A, is the big part is a mental part that no one's doing the work for you. No one's writing the script for you. You've no one else on stage and you're yourself. So after kind of eight, ten years of acting like other people, all of a sudden all you have is your personality and you've nothing in front of it. And speaking about your own stories and speaking about your own life with your own personality, if people don't like that, it's not the character, you can't blame it on the writing. It's you they don't like. And you go home and you go, I'm terrible. So... That side of it, it's sort of a double-edged sword in that you probably look more professional before you know how to be more professional. And I found that quite um, quite a good thing because, again, it's a baptism of fire. So you maybe get booked again quicker than people who had never been on stage before and had been doing sitting at a desk doing IT or something because they're not used to performing. But it's also... 
I suppose personally in your own life you you panic about it more because again you you start to have something to lose and you know it's you do start treating it like a job quicker as well because it's still a performance job so it, it fits in with your Venn diagram of roughly what you thought you might be doing and in terms of writing your material you studied French and philosophy at Trinity in Dublin so did you feel that studying that helped with your writing or has it had no influence at all absolutely not if you're going to do a degree in philosophy know that it will never help you except if someone slightly pernickety uh, brings up uh, Nietzsche thinking that I won't know who they are I'll go well actually I have a degree in philosophy I am I spent most of university in the sort of drama society and I was a giant disappointment to not just the philosophy department but I think my fellow philosophy students because they really cared and I really didn't and also in philosophy because it's so grey and it's just about thoughts and unless it's about facts like what page Schopenhauer wrote X, Y and Z on in general it's just thoughts and so if you can I can waffle with the best of them and if you can waffle you can get a final degree and I have to say feel free to take it back Trinity College Dublin but my degree was based on waffle and it really French was harder French is harder because you have to do you have to do another language but again I do feel I mimed my way out of a lot of that the amount of mime I did in French and then we pretend to open a window and they go yeah well she's talking about the smoking ban there and how hard it is if there's no air in a room so yeah I kind of tended to waffle and um, mime my way out of that which I suppose has helped with my stand-up because that's mostly how I get out of bad gigs I sort of waffle and mime my way onto stage and off stage so how do you go about writing your material now with great hardship Sarah with great hardship um I would love like if I had to have one small practical wish for myself I would wish that I was the sort of person and there definitely are lots of stand-ups like this apparently Sarah Milliken works this way where you sit down at 9am uh, you write and then you leave work at six. I don't. I wander the streets. I wander my house. I eat cheese. I cry. I write down an idea. I have nothing to say for 10 hours. Then I have a shower before a gig. I think of everything in the shower, scribble it down furiously, then go and do a new material night and realise that I probably did the same work just in the shower as I probably would have achieved in the, in the whole of the day. So, I mean, I'm getting better, I suppose, the one thing I did before I even started stand-up, I knew that I was one day going to do stand-up. Um, and so for about a year and a half, I started bringing a notebook with me, just jotting down funny ideas, but not in a not in a total stand-up way, but it definitely got me in the habit of just write down things on a receipt, on a post-it, on whenever the idea comes to you. Because in general, they might come to other people when they sit down and think of them, but they rarely do for me. I find things like Twitter and Facebook actually help as well because you throw out a joke in 140 characters and then maybe flesh that out and Twitter enables you to sort of do little plays on words that might end up being a punchline to sort of a waffly story or something like that. So I wish I had a better process that wasn't so um, uh, like hitting your head over the, hitting yourself over the head with a baseball bat, but that's currently how I do it, unfortunately. I tried hypnosis for a while. I thought hypnosis would make me sit down and write for four hours and then go and visit museums. I mean, what do people do? What do people do in their spare time other than worry? I wouldn't know what to do myself. Well, you've performed at Edinburgh for several years and also when you were a student, and this year you're going to be doing your debut hour, Sailor B, at the Gilded Balloon. Uh, so what's been your experience of the Edinburgh Festival? 
Well, again, I suppose when I was doing it, when I was at university, I was a student in a sketch group of two girls and eight men. So most of what we were doing in Edinburgh when we were students, I mean, that's almost like eight years ago. No, it was nine, ten years ago. Most of that was finding out who ourselves were, living with a group of people for the first time going out with people like my boyfriend was in the sketch group with me it was we were like the first time we'd lived together you're sort of 19 and it wasn't and again it was just acting you're in sketches most of it it's acting but in short bouts and the writing is I suppose the skill that develops um more than anything when you're writing sketches but we were just it was such a big pile of us and it's student it's you know student sketch I mean most of it is just learning as well that, you know, most of the men, you know, don't wash themselves properly and that maybe you have to step in and teach them how to use a washing machine. So that was Edinburgh for two of the years. And like we didn't even know about we didn't even know that there were members bars around for a month. We just sort of drank in the one place and we were a big group of Irish kids. It was sort of a, a me- but actually with that comes, I suppose, again, without sounding like a tool, a sort of purity about the comedy of it because we didn't know anything about the business. I remember in our first year, um, we had, or maybe it was our second year, uh, with the sketch group. Again, we were all so obsessed with drinking and gossip that we had no idea that the show was sort of one of the things we did every day and then we all went and fought with each other. But we loved each other very much and we still are all very good friends. Um, But one year someone from Hattrick apparently came over and asked about the group and who did the writing and we had one of our friends over from Dublin just visiting and staying with us and we thought it would be really funny if we told this man from a production company that she wrote all the sketches because we just thought it would be funny and apparently it turned out he was from Hattrick at the time <laughs> and we were just like uh, remember the time we told the guy and now when we look back we're going what were we doing? But then because there was no business element of it, the only thing we focused on were making people laugh. And I think that that's still that's still something that sits around, you know, that you just if you focus on making people laugh, the rest will eventually come if you're not a total idiot. Like we were. Well, last year you won So You Think You're Funny at Edinburgh. So what was your experience of entering a comedy competition? Uh, well, I'd entered two. I'd en- entered the Amused Moose competition and So You Think You're Funny. And a big part of it was, again, it was in my sort of discipline of trying to get better at stand-up because the only thing you can do is just gig, gig, gig. And the good thing about competitions is they force you to... Because a lot of the stand-up I was doing was on sketch nights and on sketch nights, if they say 10 to 15 minutes, they mean 16 to 17. If you do a stand-up night and they say 10 minutes, they mean 11 maximum, but they mean 9 to 10. And because a lot of the nights that I was doing had been so free in terms of time, like I'd start off going, yeah, I'll just do 7 to 10 and then be still there 16 minutes in. And so the big, and they wouldn't mind either. And as long as they don't mind, you keep doing what you're doing and you don't time it. Whereas the great thing about competitions is because they're, it's just when you're starting out, I think they're a really good way of uh, scuttling down your time and making you think more about your writing and your words and using them quicker and thinking about your pace. And if, it, if I mean, it's not nice in that you have to do an advert for yourself. I, I rather do longer sets. But if you have to do only five minutes, how do you make that in a five minutes that you can enjoy and you're still yourself in and you're not trying to write gag, 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 pretending you're Jimmy Carr? Um, the other side of competitions is though that 
for someone who's won a competition and and you know it's it was an amazing experience and I've gotten a lot out of it um I don't think comedy for me is nice in a competitive environment and so in all of those especially with so you think you're funny I think because so you think you're funny is for newbies so we're all coming to the table at it really hoping to do well at stand-up rather than knowing we're good yet and in the group I mean there's such a different like some people were 19 and then some people were 35 and some people were 24 and just out of university I was 28 that people are from such different backgrounds but we're all still starting out we don't know why we're good and if we're good and why that gig worked and because of that you sort of have to rely on each other to sort of jolly you along and I and I think there might be less competitiveness in a competition where it's for people who've only been doing it a year once you get to ones where people have been doing more three years I suppose there is more to lose and the money means more and you're at a stage where you want to go pro with it and so I found that harder I suppose because it was more competitive you're in a competition and I'm not sure I don't totally um believe that we should be competing against each other or else you start stop being yourself you try to win rather than be very good at your gig so what can people expect from your debut hour this year um what can they expect uh, it, it, they can expect it to be on at half six they can expect me to turn up uh so i can do it they i suppose a show i've tried to take the pressure off myself of it being sort of um you know, you'd love to think that you go onto stage and then all of a sudden all the problems in Syria are fixed just because I told it like it is. Uh, but instead, I suppose, fun for an hour. Um, you're not going to be tested mentally during it. Hopefully you'll enjoy it and feel better about life after it, but not maybe better about your problems at home. Just sort of maybe they've made you forget your problems at home for an hour, I would say. <laughs> And you've also performed a lot on television, including Cardinal Burns, Dead Boss, as you mentioned before, Come Fly With Me and Fit, which was on CBBC. So do you prefer performing on stage or on screen? I think if you'd asked me when I came out of drama school, I would definitely have said stage. I just wanted to be a stage actor. I just wanted to do theatre, theatre, theatre. And if I had to do telly to as an ends to a means to get more people to come and see me in a theatre I would but as the years went by and I stopped doing as much theatre and, and most of my work were comedy telly jobs in particular comedy like I've done a few telly dramas and that's quite nice but there's less crack with the crew because everyone has to be quite respectful of the scenes you know if everyone's trying to do a funeral scene you're like so lads right and action it doesn't exactly create the right ambience for um, everyone to sit down and cry but with comedy jobs there's such a great camaraderie and also in the theatre there's an old system in the theatre of the difference between the crew and uh, and the cast and that's that the actors are all thick idiots but they're the most important people and then all the crew around you are the they're the stage managers are the more intelligent people but they're less respected and they don't get any glory and my sister works in costume and, I, and she does mostly film and I suppose I love being on telly because at any point during the the shoot you're the least important person most important person it gets passed around sometimes it's a costumes moment to shine sometimes it's a cameraman sometimes it's about sound and we all have to wait on tender hooks while a plane flies over and I think I really like being in a team I work I feel like I'm on the apprentice now I work well in a team and yeah yeah maybe that won't get me to the top but it means I can lead my people well but I really do like working in crews and pairs and teams it kind of suits me 
And um, I suppose I like that about telly and especially comedy because if you can add, like say with Cardinal Burns especially, like I really like playing around with the lads on, on set and kind of adding in the odd line and bits and bobs. And I'm helping with the, them with the new series as well. And it just, it's just fun. You get to play around. You're not on your own in your house eating your 10th cracker anymore. You're sort of out chatting with people, you know. So, um, so yeah, so that element of it I do like, but... It's not it's not the same as stand up. So stand up gives you a completely different sense of achievement and sense of fear, I think. But it is it's a lonelier life. But it's so I mean, it's just a it's an amazing job to be able to do. So I'm very lucky to be able to. The people keep booking me. And uh, you've emceed a lot as well and particularly rowdy crowds um, such as Spank or um, the literary tent at Latitude. So how do you find coping with rowdy crowds? Do you find that you get heckled a lot? I don't I don't think I get heckled a lot. I don't think I mind rowdy crowds purely because I think when you MC you bring a certain degree to probably what skills you have naturally. So I grew up in a family that, you know, we're all kind of loud people. So loud people don't really scare me that much and I used to sort of you know, say some people don't mind getting into debates or approaching really difficult subjects because they debated at school and they're used to the kind of fights with words. I didn't debate or do any of that sort of stuff at school. So if people start being challenging or try to or try to have a fight just because they love fights. Some people love that. Some people love debates and they'll say the grass is blue just because they love a debate. I really hate debates. I like discussions and, and talking with people. Um, and so... I think that helps when you MC because you're not afraid. I'm not afraid of large groups of people. Um, I mean, it, it's a, I suppose it is a skill, but if there was an apocalypse, it's not exactly... I wouldn't be able to negotiate with a large group of people if they were wielding knives. I just sort of... Yeah, I think you should definitely kill me if there's an apocalypse. But in terms of being an MC, it's a quite a first world skill. Um, I don't think it would do any good in the third world. But yeah, I don't mind, I suppose... Yeah, I'm saying I've always and I would just always enjoy it. I like I think it's like hosting a party as well. If you realize what needs to happen at a party, some people are going to be douchebags, but most people are there and they want to have a good time and they want to have the crack. And if you get most people on the same buzz or dancing to the same music, you're going to most people will have a good party and then eventually everyone else will join in. And do you have a favorite type of venue that you prefer performing in? Yeah, um, actually, not really. I suppose because I've been kind of doing it under two years, I've done so many different types. I mean, like the So You Think You're Funny final was in a huge room, the sort that I would be used to playing as an actor, actually. And I felt quite comfortable being in a big room like that because you sort of can't see when people are looking down at their phones and stuff you can so it's I, I actually thought if you just know how to play out it was maybe less of a challenge where if you're in a group of eight people in a small room when you get that right that's where the magic is because you've taken eight individuals and made them a group uh, but when they start rustling or looking around or going do you want another bottle of wine no she can't hear us she can barely see us you're going I can see you you're there um, that's a bigger challenge sometimes so there's all sorts of but when you get it right it feels great when you can kind of give those people a good time because it feels like you're the most talky person at a dinner party when there's only six to eight people in and I think that's about the average Edinburgh audience as well so that's what we're looking at you know it feels like you're you're hogging the attention at a dinner party <laughs> when there's when there's only that many people in 
You also do um, a lot of writing in the form of short stories, Miss B's Wee Tales, as well as sketches and short plays that you've written for Phil Nichols' Comedians Theatre Company. Uh, and also you um, you co-wrote uh, with Yasmin Akram your Irish Mix and Legends, which was nominated for a Chortle Award for Best Radio Show. So do you have a favourite medium that you prefer writing for? And do you always want a performance element with what you write? I think um, at the moment, last year I was writing a film for the Irish Film Board and I've also written some sitcom things. And again, the I found writing a sitcom easier maybe because I've been in more sitcoms. So you know the natural arc of something. And also when you write a character in a sitcom, you have the basics of the person, but you can find out in 20 minutes something about them. And then you've six series, hopefully, but six episodes to find out more about them. And you don't know what's going to happen with film writing. It's so plot heavy and you have to really be rigid with your structure because in 90 minutes you have to have all of your characters wrapped up in some way, whether that's dead or married. But you have to have your characters wrapped up and having gone somewhere and found out something about themselves and ended. In general, you don't set it up for a sequel unless you really know you're onto a good thing. Um, and I found that quite hard to kind of kill off characters in a certain sense. Um, and that maybe, yeah, maybe that's harder, I suppose, as well. Um, the film is a, an ensemble sports movie and I don't know anything about sports, so that could have that could have hindered it. But um, I think the sometimes I write articles as well for like an online magazine and sometimes you write ideas and when you do them on stage as a stand-up you f- they feel very written and you realize or similarly with stories they feel like this isn't this isn't stand-up material this is a story or this is a, an idea for an article that can be fleshed out but you don't want to sound like you're preaching and those things tend to work better on a page than in stand-up like in stand-up sometimes they can just be an idea that makes people laugh and then you keep you keep um, talking about them, but in an article, people wouldn't keep reading. So it's it's for I suppose it's where your idea ends up fitting, um, and you, most of the job creatively when you're doing this is sort of uh, ideas, 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 and where to put them, where to put them all. And do you have a favourite type of audience that you prefer performing to? No, I like all audiences, Sarah, and I hope they all come to see my gigs. Um, I really don't want to say that because I think when you when you when you decide who an, an audience who is up for a laugh and doesn't take themselves too seriously, I don't think it's any it helps anyone to talk about age brackets because ultimately I suppose you're used to making your own friends laugh. So people who would be your friends in life are probably the people who are going to enjoy you on stage. Uh, but those can be our friends of sort of all ages as well. So I don't think it helps to kind of talk about age brackets because I think it limits other people as well. Um, but yeah, people who are there to enjoy and participate and um, yeah, have a little bit of joy left in, in their souls are sort of my favourite audiences. The ones that maybe come to hear people be angry about pernickety things. And I, I don't mean that in a that's a terrible form of comedy but that's definitely a form that's there a lot of people being angry about things um maybe and if that's what they enjoy about this minutiae of life maybe you should go and watch someone else i would say you know (laughs) and do you have any tips or advice for aspiring comedians i don't know i suppose i'm not sure if i'm in a total position well maybe the position i'm in to give advice is someone who's almost two years on 
since starting. Um, I would say gig, gig loads and don't be afraid of new material. Um, I know some people do have a five minute to ten minute set that they do to death. And actually, I mean, I've got definitely like five to ten minutes that I definitely do a lot of. But just in terms of the smaller gigs where you're doing it for free and for nothing and when no one's watching you, like enjoy the time when no one's coming to watch you because the pressure's off and to just try out jokes and bits and bobs and to write down any ideas you have in your notebooks and to keep all of your notebooks because you never know when you're going to run back through them and to make notes after gigs to do um I remember Holly Walsh as well said to me that the mo- the bigger the most of the work that she does is in the hour before a gig and the hour after and I think that it use that time use the hour beforehand to really look at your book and plan how you're going to get onto stage and come off so you're in and you're out and then also and the hour afterwards write down a few notes because you won't remember them in the morning and also record gigs I found that a big thing um I do hate listening to the sound of my own voice because in my mind I sound like David Attenborough but it is really worth listening to listening to your stuff because you don't know what you could come up with off the cuff and just not remember that you said it um so that would be my advice and do you have any tips or advice for students for students in general what advice would I give for students in general? Get get the work in and definitely turn it in on time and learn to do that as a discipline. But remember that, especially at university, so I'm out of university now. I, I started university 11 years ago. I did eventually graduate. That's why I'm here. Um, but definitely use the experience um of life that you're there for and meet a lot of people. And a big thing I would say at university, I still meet people now who I remember thinking certain things about in university based on what someone else had told me or one night out or something that happened. And we can all be Egypt's at times and to give people the benefit of the doubt and don't make judgments about people before you've properly got to know them or based on they spoke too much one day or they didn't speak at all. Oh, they're really snobby or they're not. So I remember thinking something about a girl at university. Turns out she was really short sighted and just couldn't see me without her glasses on. I thought she is so snobby. She walks right past you. And it turns out she just really bad eyesight. But we never really clocked it um, because she always wore most of the time wore lenses. But sometimes they hurt her eyes. And so she could just make her way to university. But yeah, that and um uh, that for students and what else and wash your clothes properly really learn to wash your clothes and wash yourself and wash your shoes really just wash yourself and also um, men at university learn to look after women if you see your friend walking home at night always make sure she's okay and always look after the girls in your group or the girls in the area and don't put pressure on young women men that's one for the boys boys learn how to be men while you're at university and men look after women <laughs> 